Hello, hello and welcome to the Big Hearted Podcast. My name is Victoria Edmund and I am your host. Our aim here at the Big Hearted Podcast is to nurture a community of heart-centred educators to change the perception and delivery of early childhood education and care in Australia and ultimately around the world. We want you to be inspired by our guests and the topics we bring to you to think of new ways of being as an educator. We want you to feel a sense of belonging via this podcast so that you can engage any time of the day or night in any place that suits you. We want you to become an educator that delivers education from the heart, as we believe this is how we create great change within our world. So join us as we discover new ways to inspire each other here on the Big Hearted Podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome to today's podcast. I want to talk to you today about a subject that's really close to my heart and one that uh, can cause a little bit of controversy, if that's the right word. Um, Maybe it isn't. Maybe I'm just making it up and making it bigger than what it needs to be, but um, intentional teaching. And I know a lot of educators struggle with intentional teaching because there's this conflicting view around how it needs to look and if and and the move for child-led play, um, which is really important and a, a very valuable or very valid rather um, point to discuss. And I'll go into it quickly. When you do intentional teaching, it can cover various topics. It can be around your environment setup. It can be around the things that you offer in terms of resources. It can be around the experiences that you offer. Um, intentional teaching can also be about how you set things up uh, to see how children will engage with things. Um, and, and then, of course, there's pre-planned intentional teaching and there's spontaneous intentional teaching or scaffolding. There's just so many different ways that intentional teaching can be included in your program. It is a must. It is covered in the uh, frameworks that we need to work around or work in, on, with, together, community. <laughs> um, but it's it's definitely something that we need to have a focus on. And it is also one of the big areas that educators struggle with the most because I think it's so broad that it makes it difficult for educators to see how it can fit in their program. Because the EYLF itself is so broad, a lot of educators can struggle if they don't have a framework to work within. And a framework is a really great place to start because it gives you a base. And when you have that base, it then allows your creativity to flow because once you feel comfortable operating in that framework, then you can start experimenting and building out your ideas. So it's definitely a, um, a great topic for us to discuss and cover. And I want to go into um, detail about intentional teaching for you today. So we run an online uh, planning day and that's where we plan 12 weeks of intentional teaching in advance. Uh, and quite often when I share that idea, there is this whole cohort of people out there who will be like, you can't plan that far in advance. That's not child-led. We're supposed to be running child-led programs and blah, 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 like all the things. And I totally get it because before I started planning that way, there was no way on earth I could even fathom how to plan 12 weeks in advance. Just wouldn't have happened. Uh, in fact, it didn't happen until I actually sat down and gave it a red hot go. And once I gave it a red hot go, I realized that there were so many benefits to planning f- that far in advance. In fact, the benefits far outweighed all of the negative thoughts I had around um, pre-planning. And I never looked back once I started in my 12-week 
planning. So in our in our um, business Rainbow Bridge Family Daycare, we run s- seasonally, and a lot of you who follow Big Hearted Education probably get that too because we have our seasonal planners. Um, and this intentional teaching works beautifully in conjunction with the planner to the point where if you invest a three hours um, session planning session you can pre-fill your planner if you want and have majority of your documentation done before the next season even starts where all you end up having to do is your checklists on the day that are required, like your daily safety checklist, nappy checklist, sleep checklist, cleaning checklist, you know, they're tick and flick once you, you do them, obviously. And, and then you have maybe one observation to do a day. And that's it. That's your documentation done. And then obviously note the spontaneous things that children have done. That's it. So... That brings me to my first point is that intentional teaching and planning in advance will save you time. So you make that one single investment of about three hours on a Saturday just before the beginning of the next season and that will then assist you through the rest of the season to be doing your book work and your documentation in your work hours. Now, when I'm floating around in social media, the biggest complaint that I see educators make, the single biggest complaint, is that they do not get their documentation done on time. They spend hours outside of their work time doing documentation and um, they, they just don't have enough time. And I would say it's because it's not organized. You come into work on the day and you're going, what are we going to do today? (laughs) Like, what am I going to plan? And you're already on the back foot. So when you, this leads into point number two, it means you're organized. So when you're organized and you know what's coming, that gives you so much more brain space and capacity to work with what appears on that day. And I'm not talking about like having multiple different setups in a day and multiple different experiences because that's the next biggest thing that educators um, feel dissatisfaction in their work is because they are burnt out, they're overworked, they they can't keep up with the pace, they're feeling exhausted, they're feeling tired and this is like Like when you track it back and just the way I observe it anyway, and I could be wrong, I could be completely wrong and I will apologize if I am, but when you track it back, the educators that are burnt out and that are doing observations and whatnot outside of their work hours are educators that are running on the fly. Like there's not a massive amount of pre-planning that's going into the work. They're kind of coming in in the day and they're going, okay, so what are we going to do today? What what did we like yesterday? Okay, we, we did that yesterday, so let's extend on that. And that's all good and well, but that takes you time when you get to work in the morning to think about that process and work it out. Whereas when you pre-plan your work and you pre-plan just small intentional moments throughout the day or maybe you've got a particular group that's of a similar age and you've decided on a term-long project and they were my favorite ones to do because um, it was like time hacking my life basically because if it was a term-long project every Tuesday when that particular group was in I knew what we were doing. It was already started. We'd pick up where we left off the week before and off we would go and we would begin a project at the beginning and end it at the end. And it gave this real sense of satisfaction. There was purposefulness for me uh, as the educator. So I was really engaged and, and really wanting to get this term long project completed with the children. And so, you know, if the children had a week where they didn't want to do something, that was okay. Uh, we would just 
find other moments of time. Maybe that Tuesday child was in on a Thursday as well and maybe they wanted to work on that project on the Thursday while they were in too. We, we could spread it out. Um, but we had this goal and um, it works beautifully with the older children and the younger children. They contribute what they can. Yeah, it might be three or four stitches if you're sewing something or um, you may, might be making some felt or, or a beautiful picture frame or like whatever your term long project is you just chip away at it and every time you pull it out you offer the little ones an opportunity to contribute and they contribute to that and then you might finish it for them or you might not finish it for them you might keep working on it and it might take all year but at the end of the year that little 18 month old child has sewn a whole love heart like what an achievement and and that's really precious and it documents a process and it gives them a sense of satisfaction to have finished something and before anyone comes at me about how 18 month old children can't sew I have a video of it happening <laughs> so <laughs> with one of my past students so and it's that inclusivity and you're scaffolding the learning so that everybody can contribute and be a part of it. But it means that you're organised, you know what's coming, you know what you're doing and the rest of your day then is devoted to child-led play. And it could be that you still do intentional teaching along the way because maybe there's someone who you're having a goal of teaching them how to tie their shoelaces and it might take you all term to nail it. Uh, it but three or four times a day the shoes are on and off on and off on and off and every single time that comes up for that child you are you know spending the time with them to tie their shoelaces you're teaching them how to tie their shoelaces simply you're giving them lots of opportunity to practice and that's an intentional teaching moment that's a goal that you have for that particular child and you know because you've written it down in your planning documents that ah oh, yeah little little joey i'm going to teach him how to tie his shoelaces this season because he's shown an interest in it and it's you know he's getting ready to go to school next year and i really want to have him you know tying his shoelaces so that he can take his shoes on and off and be self-sufficient when it comes to going to school so these are all little ways that you can bring intentional teaching in and having these moments where you know what you're doing and you see that moment pop up during the day and then you can instigate a learning moment from that with those children and you're keeping that in mind. So planning in advance to point three that I want to talk about is that it gives you time to gather information and resources as well. So say for example you want to teach the children watercolor painting. I've never like before I learned well before I had a go at watercolor painting I'd never touched water watercolor paints in my entire life. But if I wanted to really give the children a really valuable experience in watercolour painting because I didn't know how to do it, I could do one of two things. I could either go and learn how to do it first myself, knowing that I want to teach the children some watercolour painting skills. I only need to be one step ahead of them the whole time. So learning how to um, you, you wet the paper and the certain sort of brush that you need to use and getting nice quality watercolour paints. There's something inherently good about using good quality resources children deserve to have good quality experiences so wherever you can i encourage you to source out resources that are good quality so if you're using wool get pure wool don't use acrylic because it doesn't feel as nice and it doesn't have that same experience if you're going to use felt go and get the beautiful thick felt i apologize if you can hear that in the background my family's decided to get up and the bin truck's coming all at once uh, I'm gonna gonna carry on though because <laughs> we've just got to get on with things. Um, so, getting good quality, thick, beautiful wool felt as opposed to the the thin acrylic stuff that you can get for like fifty cents a sheet. It just 
doesn't feel as nice and it doesn't look as nice either and it won't last the distance particularly if you're going to shut this window particularly if you're going to um use these for resources and making toys and things like that like it's just going to be much uh nicer and they will last the distance uh, if you use better quality material than cheaper stuff uh, so what this means though is that you have time to gather information and resources so i could do one of two things if i'm trying to teach the children watercolor painting i can go and quickly do a class myself or i can engage somebody within my community who knows how to do that skill to come and teach the children and i at the same time what a great experience for children to see their educator learning something at the same time so planning in advance gives you the opportunity to be able to pre-prepare yourself and your resources which means you're never ever ever going to be caught short without having your resources there um i don't know if you can hear that but that's the coffee machine maybe it's your sign to get a coffee while we're having a chat <laughs> anyway i hope it doesn't come through but it is what it is so um gives you time to gather resources and information so that you're prepared so that you know on that particular Tuesday I need to have x y and z prepared and because I need to have x y and z prepared I know I get that done earlier so that it's a hundred percent there on the day so that I don't ever get to the point where I go oh I really want to do blah 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 oh I can't because I don't have this particular thing uh, and if your resources don't come in time like I know there were so many postal interruptions over the last couple of years so if your resources don't come in time you already know that they're not there so that you can plan something else it's not like you're getting to the day and you're going oh no I don't have blah and we were going to do this and now I can't oh what am I going to do now it gives you that opportunity to be again organized point number four that I want to raise is that it gives you a greater connection to the purpose of what you're doing it gives you your why your clearly defined why you are doing what you're doing now anytime the department comes out and they're looking at your programming the first thing they're going to ask you is why are you doing that and so many educators will say that they don't know how to talk about why they're doing what they're doing like they they know why they're doing it but they cannot articulate it when you program in advance what we encourage you to use to start off with until you get really fluid with it and comfortable with it we encourage you to use the milestone checklists when you use the milestone checklists if a department um, authorized officer comes along and asks you why you've written down um, that you're going to be baking bread with the children every day this week uh, or this this season on a Wednesday you could say because this group of particular children or this one particular child uh, I really want to work on the strength within their fingers because I've noticed their pincer grip on the pencil that they're holding they're not holding it correctly straight away one of the first things that i always think of when i see a child holding a pencil in a different way is that we need to increase the muscle strength within their hands and their ability to use their fingers effectively and efficiently it's not always going to be the reason why a child holds a pencil differently but that's a pretty safe bet so one of the things that i would be bringing in to assist that particular child is making bread because they have to knead the dough and we have a song that goes along with it and it's a it's an experience that takes about you know five to ten minutes depending on that child's particular attention span but every single time we're touching on that we're activating those muscles we're bringing the strength in we're getting that practice happening and it has nothing to do with holding a pencil yet i've come four steps back from that and and or yeah four steps away from that to coming back to the very beginning and looking at what do I need to build for that particular child now just because that one experience is set for that one particular child 
everybody else is going to benefit from that too. Uh, it could just be that they enjoy making bread and sitting and having a community experience because that's something we always do together. Um, it could be that there's a bit of science involved in it. If we add different things to the bread dough, um, it could be that we're talking about language as we sing the bread the bread making song. Um, it could be that I'm asking someone to be the person who passes out the flour shaker and helps everybody and they pass out the bread dough and then they put the bread dough on the tray. Like there are just so many different things that can come into one experience that I've planned for a purpose for one particular child but can link to everybody else as well. So then I can say to the department when they ask me, oh, why are you making bread every day with this particular group this season? I can say because little Joey, I noticed, wasn't holding the pencil in a pincer group, so I wanted to be able to um, come back and strengthen his finger his, his finger strength and the muscles within his forearms and, and whatnot. Um, as an added bonus, the other children are experiencing X, Y, and Z. That is... All you need to say and that authorised officer will be like, oh, cool, I, I get that now. And you also then can include your cyclical planning because at the beginning of term or at the end of last term, you noticed that little Joey couldn't hold the pencil in the pincer grip. By the end of this term, you've made progress and he's actually doing that. Or you note it, he's still not doing it. What's the next thing that I need to look at to help him with this process? And it's not like you're forcing anything on him. These are play-based activities that are assisting these muscle growth. And if it has nothing to do with his muscle growth or the strength in his fingers, you have then improved that anyway and a whole host of other <laughs> other. Um, developmental areas as well because you've offered this experience and he's done it 12 times now so it's a greater connection it gives you a greater purpose and a greater connection to what you're doing and so therefore when you come to every Tuesday you know oh, I've got to make the bread dough before the children come or today we're going to do it at afternoon tea time uh, so or at just before lunchtime we're going to make our bread dough so the children can help me in the morning I might have some early children attending so they can help me make the dough and that can prove and then at, at just before lunchtime we'll make our bread dough and then have lunch and go to bed and I'll cook it so it's ready for them nice and warm for a crunchy bun when they get up at afternoon tea time so it's how you look at why you're doing what you're doing it gives you purpose you know exactly why you're doing it when you the educator have purpose it gives you comfortability is that even a word it gives you purpose that's really what it does it gives you purpose in your role and when you have that purpose you feel fulfillment in what you do so when you feel fulfillment in your role you then get a sense of satisfaction in what you're doing so this leads to another point, um, which I haven't noted down, but I'm going to talk about it. And I did talk about it with um, Kirsten R.B. Peterson in the, the, the Play Renegade Summit, uh, which is from the 14th to the 18th of February. So you do have time to um, go and sign up for that. It is free. And if you want to upgrade to the paid, it gives you access for 12 months to all of the speakers. And there's an incredible line, lineup of speakers including uh, Dr. Peter Gray and uh, yours truly. Uh, but I go right into this topic that I'm going to just touch on briefly now uh, in that interview with Kirsten. Um, so it was, it was really good. But stepping back out of the children's play. So when, when educators don't feel a sense of purpose in their work and they don't trust what they're doing, they can sometimes, I've seen it and I've been that educator myself, I can over-program within my group as a way and a means to feel like I'm justified in my role. I'm just going to let that sit there. <laughs> I'm actually going to say it again. When I didn't have purpose in my role, when I didn't know what I was doing, why I was doing it, I needed to justify myself in that position. And so in order to justify myself in that position, I would over-program. 
because I thought I had to be the person that was providing this experience and that experience and doing this and doing that and that's why I'm here and it's so important that I'm here and I provide this for the children. Really, I was justifying my position. If I am really clear on what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and they may only be 10 or 15 minutes in the day, if I'm really clear on that, and have a deep connection to why I'm doing it and I know exactly why I'm doing it and the purpose behind everything, I don't need to justify my role. I don't need to justify my existence within that business because I can already do it with this clearly defined intentional teaching that I am planning for each individual child. Therefore, the rest of the day can be put towards spontaneous play, creative play, play that I can assist the children with when required, but really the ultimate goal is that the children find no reason to engage with me because they are so comfortable in their own environment, so comfortable with each other that they play creatively. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to disappear and leave them to their own devices and go and watch a movie. Absolutely not. I am in that space with them but I am not leading them in anything except for that intentional teaching. I'm there to offer support. I'm there to offer guidance, but that is it. I don't, like I stopped. And when I stopped over-programming the children, what I noticed was their play was so much better. Their ideas, and I've said it a million times and I will keep saying it, it's on a bumper sticker for you here. The children's ideas are always better than our own. We've just got to give them the space to explore it. So that's tip number four, greater connection and purpose. It gives you your why. Number five, you can pre-plan your observations. This is such liquid gold and it meets that cycle planning requirement that we have to meet within the frameworks. So when you are pre-planning observations, you can plan them in month-long spaces. So on week four of the season, week eight of the season, and week 12 of the season. And what you're doing is you're, you're observing that cycle. It gives you a sense of how you're tracking. It gives you a sense of how the children are tracking. It gives you a sense of whether you need to tweak things within your program as you go or I actually think I need to allow more time for this uh, or I need to bring in more of this because we're just about there, that child's just about got that skill set now, I'm going to provide another half a dozen experiences or opportunities for that child. It allows you to zoom out and look at the bigger picture as well and that includes If you want to work on scissor cutting, and I use this example all the time purely because it's so good and it's very easy for people to um, see it, but if I'm wanting to work on scissor cutting with little Joey, geez, that Joey kid needs so much help, (laughs) but if I'm wanting to work on scissor cutting with little Joey, what what I can do is provide so many different opportunities and experiences for using scissors. And it again, it can come back to the strength in the hand, in the muscles and the forearms. So I might go right back to there and say, okay, I'm going to do some beeswax modeling, Play-Doh, bread making, all these things that are getting Joey to activate all those muscles in his fingers, in his hands, so that it's increasing the strength so that when it comes to scissor cutting, we've already got that really good baseline of strength that he needs to physically have to be able to cut with scissors. Moving on from that, I might then offer half a dozen ways that he gets to use the scissors across a day. So I might go, okay, I'm going to cut some herbs in the garden. I'll give the scissors to Jimmy and and the other children too, but I'm specifically doing this for Jimmy, but the other children benefit at the same time. But my plan for Jimmy is that I'm going to get him cutting herbs in the garden and we'll put that in our bread dough. 
or I'm going to make some paper mache. So he's going to cut with scissors. Other children may rip it because they may not be ready to be cutting with scissors, but I'm going to encourage Jimmy to use the scissors. Uh, and then I might get him cutting up. We might make some pasta dough and I get him to cut the pasta dough up or we're going to be cutting flowers in the garden, or maybe the guinea pigs need some grass, so let's cut the grass with the scissors. Like all these opportunities to be able to uh, practice this skill, and it's all in part of the day. He doesn't know that I am literally teaching him and giving him the skills of scissor cutting. It's just a seamless part of the day that we do. And we do that until he gets how to hold the scissors and how to use the scissors correctly so that he's not going to um, struggle with that process uh, for the rest of his life or until he gets it, you know, later down the track, whatever. But what I'm doing is I'm intentionally putting that in my program at every opportunity and I'm pre-thinking about it. So what I want to do is I want to notice where he's at at week four, come back, check in, where are we sitting at week eight? And I know that I'm going to do that. So in my planner, I'm going to free pre-fill in Jimmy scissor cutting on my cycle planning observations that are in our Big Hearted Education Planner. If you haven't purchased it, I highly recommend that you do um, because it means then when you get to that page and you flick it over, you go, oh, that's right, this week I'm doing that observation on Jimmy. Cool. I don't have to think about that now. And, and you don't because you've pre-planned your observations. You also know that on a certain week that you want to make sure that that 100% is in the program for you to observe. Otherwise, we just get busy and we forget about things and we don't come back to them. And when I say we, I'm talking about me, but I know that a lot of you do it too. So when you can pre-plan and write these observations in, it gives you the prompts and you don't have to think about it. So that one three-hour session that we do, and it's coming up this Saturday, Saturday the 11th of February, and if you're listening later, we do them every season. <laughs> so you can join in on the next one. But you can, that three-hour session you can write these things down as a way to remember and put them directly in your planner. It gives you so much brain space. It frees up so much brain space. You don't have to think about this stuff because you've already thought about it. You've already written it down and it's a plan and you just follow the plan. It's simple. So pre-planning observations is 0.5. Uh, it just, it just, I can't explain any other way other than to say it gives you so much more brain space and capacity uh, because you can be more in the moment with the children knowing that when you get to your planner that day or that week it's already written there and you already know what you're doing and it, just because that's written there too doesn't mean there's no space for any other observing because something fabulous might have happened that day just grab another piece of paper hole punch it write your observation on it put it in your planner and move on. That's as simple or as difficult as it needs to be. Okay, getting on to part number six or point number six, seek input well in advance. So when you know that you're working on a child, working with a child on a particular topic or it could be around, say, speech, uh, maybe there's some things that you're wanting to look at to do with the speech side of things with a particular child, you can speak to the parents right at the beginning of season. If you know that you're going to be doing some rhymes with a particular child, then print those rhymes out and give them to the family. And hopefully they will use those at home too. So you can then seek input. If you've been perhaps working on speech with this particular child for a whole season and you've noticed that, oh, there's a few things that I'm just not able to work past, it means you can then maybe go and speak to a speechy or find a course or get in touch with you know, whoever to get some information. You might ask other educators, um, but, you know, I, I would instantly maybe go to a speech yourself and see if there's a course they offer for educators. I know uh, Emily Mackey 
um, and I'll put her in the show notes. I know Emily Mackey has a program for uh, educators around speech and issues that children may struggle where she gives skills and resources and all this sort of stuff. It's a fantastic program. I'm actually going to have her on the podcast too soon, so you'll be able to hear all about it. But if you know you've got a child that is going through or or requiring some extra assistance or you yourself need extra assistance it gives you an opportunity to put those things in place it gives you an opportunity to seek input from the family as well and it makes sure that you and them are on the same page because this is what we're here for the highest good of the child so when you can seek input well in advance it means that everybody is on the same page it means that that's going to work in the for the biggest benefit for that particular child Uh, it could be that you need to ask for help from your coordination unit uh, or your director if you're in long daycare it could be that you need to uh, get specialist resources So you might get in touch with your inclusion support service agency and you might see if you can find uh, some visual cards that will help. They can help you uh, provide for those visual cards and things like that. You could have a meeting with them in your support unit or your coordination unit rather and you have a meeting together about how you're going to help this particular child that has cerebral palsy. your service so do I need specialist equipment can I get a grant for specialist equipment can I get some flashcards that will help this particular child Uh, you know they can point at their sign of their drink bottle if they want their drink or you know whatever whatever it is that's going to be but it allows you to really get organized and have those things in place before you need them which makes you again more organized more efficient and effective in your work so number seven is that and it ties in with that a bit too is that it, it, the planning in advance helps you to easily stick to a budget as well because it gives you time to maybe order things in bulk so you might if you're going to say okay I'm going to do bread making every week uh, this season I need to order five kilos of bread flour where am I going to store five kilos of bread flour okay I need to organize organize myself a container uh, I want to make sure I have the container before I get the flour. Where do I get the cheapest bread flour from? Maybe I might ask my families if anybody else would like to make a bulk order and I could order 20 kilos and d- distribute that to the families. Uh, I know a lot of Steiner's type educators do that sort of thing. They'll order in bulk because they have the ABN number and the families will quite often order with them as well and it becomes a lovely little community co-op type situation, which is fun. Uh, Requires a little bit of organisation, but uh, you can claim it on your tax because it's for your work. And yes, so many benefits, (laughs) but it allows you to stick to a budget. So if you know that you are going to be making, I don't know, you might be gardening with the children. So you want to really be able to resource your things well in advance so that A, you have them on hand when you need them, B, you're sourcing the best price and C, you can decide, well, actually, I'm already going to spend $150 on gardening this season. I don't think I'll be able to afford to get the watercolour painting person to come in on the four times that I wanted. I'll move that to the following season and I'll just direct my resources where I need to so that I can stick within my budget. So when you have a plan and you have a budget, you can stick to it. It's just it's just how it works. So having having a plan in place and pre-planning things allows you to stick to your budget. Now, tip number eight, it allows for a deeper reflection over the course of the year. So if you're using the milestone checklists and you're ticking things off as that child reaches those milestones, you've got a clear beginning and a clear end at the end of the year that you can track back and see how that child has travelled. You can link your observations back to that. You can link it to the EYLF. You can also ensure that you're tracking 
if you use our planner, <laughs> the observations in the outcome areas. Uh, so you can just make sure that you're touching on all of those outcome areas. For some reason, I would avoid, I can't even remember what outcome, maybe it was outcome five. Can't remember now, but there was always an outcome area that I just avoided doing or unconsciously avoided doing observations in. So having the tracker that I used in the planner helped me to make sure that I was touching all of those areas that I need to touch for the children and it gives me a prompt to to say oh I've got to do an observation on this particular area because I want to make sure that I am seeing these things for the children and maybe I'm not providing enough things around technology uh, so then I went on to an, uh, a journey as to how to provide more technology within my service because I didn't use screens in my service. Very occasionally we would look something up on YouTube or Google. We've, I remember we found a um, spotted cuckoo bee um, outside in the garden one day and I'd never seen one of these bees. So I, of course, got onto Google black bee with white spots and spotted cuckoo bee came up and it was amazing the children and I looked at it looked into it and then we found there's blue ones as well and we were like this is awesome and it's a lone bee and we found all this information but the children never watched tv we never watched music things on tv um the only single time that I used TV was when someone projectile vomited in the playroom and all the other children, of course, wanted to come and see the purple spew. <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, that can't happen because I had to clean up the child that was still projectile vomiting. Uh, so I put the telly on and put play school on and the children sat there glued to it like they were just deeply engrossed because they never got it at kindy. Uh, and I was able to then clean up the little one that had spewed, made her comfortable, and then came and addressed the room. Um, that was the one and only time I put the children in front of the telly in my um, in my day care career. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's a time and a place for things. But for me, looking at technology, I had to then go, well, how am I going to meet the needs for technology? And so then I looked at a pencil. And a pencil was technology. Before there were no pencils, then there was a pencil. That changed the course of the world because then people started transcribing things and they could use that technology to better their information sharing. So then I started looking, okay, well, that's cool. We use technology in terms of pencils uh, and pens and textures and things like that. What other parts are there technology? And then I looked at the wheel on a wheelbarrow and that's a technology too and so when I started really looking at how can I meet this so that it meets my values I then could apply that in principle to all the things that I was doing and it helped me to get over the block around that particular outcome area that I was avoiding so it made me look at my practice and make sure that I was offering a well-rounded curriculum within my daycare space so uh, it allows for deeper reflection over the course of the year so that's deeper reflection on your own practice because you might need to improve your skill set you might need to educate yourself you might need to read books or do courses yourself um, so that helps you to deepen your connection to your why it helps you to have deeper reflection on your own practice over the year but deeper reflection on the children and how the children are moving through the developmental milestones and the different developmental domains that we need to meet as educators as well. Um, and, you know, they're so broad, they really are broad, but they give you a place to start and a bit of a, um, a guideline. Everybody's going to meet them differently, of course. Of course the children are going to meet them differently. Um, but... It gives you something to track by. It also means that at the end of the year, you can write 
if you choose to, particularly when children are going to school, you can really give a clear guideline and a transition to going into school or prep. And that's a really big thing. I know the department in Queensland is really pushing transition um, statements for schools as they move through to, from, from your care into preschool uh, not preschool, sorry, prep, uh, so that the teacher knows the strengths that this child has and the areas that they can have for stretching. So it allows for greater reflection. And when you look back over the course of the year, you can see where you started and the things that you had focused on and worked on, uh, and you can just follow those through or come to completion for them. But it allows you to really reflect over the year and see just how far you and that child have come in your uh, work together. Uh, tip number nine is it helps you plan for next season. Now this is a beautiful thing because once you start looking at that milestone checklist that will give you some of the goals that you want to work on with those children but it also will tell you those areas where actually we haven't quite met that. We need to provide a little bit more for that child, more practice. So just because you've had maybe language development on your intentional teaching for that child for the whole of last term doesn't mean you can't do it again. That's the thing that's singing to you the most that needs the most direction and help and practice. So you then go, well, okay, we looked at rhyming last season. That didn't really quite work. Uh, maybe this season... I might get in touch with Emily Mackey or someone else who you know of uh, to maybe do her course and then I'm going to have all these other skills. Now those skill set aren't just for that child, that's an investment that you have for every child that comes through your service from here until evermore. So it is an investment that you would make and you would choose to make that as professional development. So it will then give you that will give you different skills to work on for the coming season so you're you don't have to think about that you already have decided that no I'm going to be looking at language development for this particular child I'm going to continue that I'm going to do that course and check in in week four week eight and week 12 to see if there's been any kind of difference uh, that I've been able to help with that particular child so you don't have to really think about that you just continue on with the plan that you had before. Uh, if you've met what you've wanted to meet with that particular child with your intentional teaching for last season, you can then go, okay, well, this is the next thing because I'm now observing the children differently and I'm looking from a different perspective at the children. I'm looking with a forward planning intention. I want to then see the next part that I'm going to follow on to. So once you get into the flow of this intentional teaching and planning like this, it flows beautifully into the next season and you get to more deeply articulate what it is that you're trying to work on with the children because your focus is different. Your focus isn't just observing what's happening in front of you and writing an observation based on that. Your observations come from prior knowledge of the children and a plan that started, you know, way back. So therefore your observations become differently, become different. Oh my goodness, differently. They become different. They become a lot more deeper. Um, and what, what would be the difference? I suppose the difference is, is that you have a specific target that you're looking for. So therefore you're more analytical of the process of getting to that target. It's like I read a, a quote the other day and I can't quote it now because my brain doesn't work like that. But the gist of the quote is, is that a sniper or a shooter doesn't shoot and then go and paint the target around the bullet hole. The shooter will have the target in place first and will aim their bullet for that target. It's the process of getting to the target and making sure that the gun is on the right angle, that the scope is in, in check, that they take into account for the wind. Like these are all things that we can apply into observing too. And when we start looking at observations from that perspective, 
it's far different than writing about something that's happening in front of you and how am I going to extend that. What you actually do is you look differently. If you've got a child that's uh, really struggling to uh, gel with the group, you're going to look at that from a different perspective and go, well, hang on, how far back does this go? Where does this start? Okay, this child came into a group of children that were already connected and already had a really great working relationship together. This child's struggling to ingratiate themselves into the play. They're struggling to uh, ask to come into play. So therefore, as an educator, I'm going to see that and I'm going to go, oh, how do I help them join the play in a less you know, confrontational manner, you know, going over and hitting Jimmy on the head with the bucket of sand is not the way to go about getting into the sandpit with the other children. Maybe I can suggest to him that he comes along uh, with some toys to add into the game and then he can slowly incorporate himself into the game or whatever, however it is. But what you do is you come from a, a different place rather than because you know that he's struggling to you know, join in the group so you're going to have a different idea about the things that you observe. You're going to observe the different ways that he's doing it, analyze that, come back and go, well, how can I assist that and, and put it into a different context and give him different opportunities and skills and work with the other children about how can we have a new community member, how are we going to welcome that community member in and all these sorts of things rather than going, Oh, he's struggling to he's struggling to to gel with the other children. That's all it is. When really, when we look a little bit deeper, it's because he doesn't know how to ask to join in. So we just teach him that and we share that. Uh, so the next point uh, that I want to talk about is point number ten, and it creates more space in the day for the children to play spontaneously. So that is one of the biggest things that people say to me, how can how can you plan so far in advance? How does this meet child-led planning? Hopefully by now, from all the things that we've talked about, there's a clear understanding of how that works. But just in case there's not, how this creates more spontaneous play for the children is because when you know what you're doing and you are not over-programming your day, you are not putting too much in because you're no longer justifying your role, what you actually do is you then become a person that stands back and you watch the children and you observe the children and you don't helicopter over them by any way, shape or form either. But what you do do is that you will be standing there and you might do some... Uh, of your own creative endeavors so if you've learnt to watercolor paint this season you might be doing some more watercolor painting because you want to make a book for the children and your gift to the children is painting the cover for them or whatever whatever it is um, I that was probably not the best example because I would probably get the children to paint their own book cover, but whatever, you, you kind of hopefully know what I'm saying. Uh, maybe you want to, let's say you're going to learn to crochet. Um, and if you're someone other than me, that's a possibility. <laughs> My mum tried to teach me to crochet and she was like, oh, Victoria, for someone who's so smart, you're really dumb at this. <laughs> I, for some reason, just cannot do it. I know how to knit. So I might then be thinking to myself as an educator who's got the children deeply engrossed in their own play and I'm standing here going, I'm a little bit bored. What am I going to do with myself? I might pull my knitting needles out, find a knitting pattern to make little chickens and make 10 little chickens over the course of that term. Like I am doing something creative that fulfills me. I'm being a person worthy of role modeling for the children. And therefore I'm actually working within my space. I'm creating resources within my space and I'm keeping my big stinky adult nose out of the children's business. I'm doing something that's worthwhile for my business. I'm doing something that means I can put it down in a second if I need to be with the children and assist the children through something. 
but it's giving me purpose. And if the children are coming up to me and saying, Tori, 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 blah, 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 I can go, well, I'm actually just a little bit busy at the moment. You might have to go and have a chat with so-and-so yourself and ask them if you can join, like or what, whatever it is. But what I'm doing is that I'm purposefully pulling myself out of the children's play because they don't need my ideas. They don't need me to stick my nose into their business. They don't need me to be providing the impetus for everything that they do. We need to be letting the children deeply engage in their creative play. So when you have your intentional teaching plan and you stick to that or you use that as your base for the term or the season, it means that you can go, okay, I've done all the things I need to do and now it's up to the children to utilise the space and the resources they in the best way they see fit. So when you have your intentional teaching moments, you know that you've met all the requirements and you've done all the things you need to do. Then it allows more space for the children. I have lost count of the amount of educators that have come to me in my service and they've had a science experiment, they've had a cooking experience, they've had um, a walk, they've gone on a walk and then they've had to do painting and then they've had craft experiences all planned in one day. They wonder why they are burnt out. They wonder why their, month, their, their business isn't as profitable because that all costs money to resource all of that. Like, and they're doing this every day. Like, how do you come up with all those ideas? If you think that creating resources and experiences and invitations to play and all that sort of stuff is the job you have to do and you're burnt out, you're tired, you don't have enough time to do your programming during the day, I would suggest it because you're doing too much. I would suggest you're tired because you're putting so much brain power into creating these things that are the be all and the end all and the insta perfect this picture and the Instagrammable moment for that and all these sorts of things. Like, you really have to ask yourself who is that for? Is that for the children or is it a justification on why you are in your role? Are you really allowing enough time for the children to get into their creative play? Kirsten Abbey Peterson talks about this and she says, it's probably not just her, there's probably a million other people that say it too, but it's her that I remember saying it the most from, <laughs> is that it takes about 45 minutes to an hour for children to drop into their play. If you are not giving them that amount of time, to explore the environment and settle into something, then you are actually stymieing the flow of spontaneous creative play for the children, which is the very thing you say that you can't do when you pre-plan your activities. So I hope that gives you a really good understanding around the importance of intentional teaching and the benefits of planning your intentional teaching in advance this way. If you want to know more, please send me a message or better yet, just book in and come and do the planning session. I go through it in detail with you. I give you examples. I give you a framework to work in. And it's a really fun day. We meet with educators from all around Australia who are planning this way now. And every single one of them will tell me that they get their planning done in that particular day and then the rest of the season it's so much easier and they don't work outside of their work hours and they have found so much more enjoyment in what they do because they're relaxed, they're organised, they know what they're doing, they feel more deeply connected to their program and they just enjoy their work again. So if you're that educator that is struggling uh, to find the balance in her work or his work and you're wanting to really approach this and tackle it head on, it might take you two seasons to really get the flow of it. And I'm not going to lie, you have to undo a whole heap of conditioning on over-programming the children and having this play-based 
idea that people don't really truly understand as play-based because if you're not allowing these large sections of day for children to engage in that play without you putting your input in, you're not running a play-based program. So come and join us this Saturday from 9 o'clock Queensland time um, and I hang about until you need me so could go to 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the afternoon if you want to hang out for that long. I don't mind. I'm here to serve you and to give you the ideas and share my wisdom and my knowledge with you because I want to see educators thriving. I want to see them loving what they do because when you love what you do, the beneficial impacts on the children outweigh anything else so that's my top 10 tips on how to intentionally teach and the benefits of intentionally teaching one it saves you time two it means you're more organized three it gives you time to gather information and resources four you have a greater connection to and sorry a greater connection and purpose it gives you your why five you can pre-plan your observations which gives you more mental space six you can seek input well in advance from your families and other professionals seven it helps you to stick to a budget eight it allows for deeper reflection over over the course of the year nine it helps you to plan for next season and every season that you do this it gets easier and easier and 10 it creates more space in the day for the children to play spontaneously so there you have it that is my top tips to intentional teaching and why it's so beneficial Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you got a lot out of this podcast. Please give me some feedback if you feel that way inclined. Uh, and, yeah, we'll put in the show notes where to uh, join in for our seasonal planning if you would like to purchase your ticket for that. Uh, and if you are listening after the 11th of February, we do do it every every season, so there will be another opportunity for you to join in. All right, my friends, that's it from me today. You have yourself a magical day. Big love. Hi, friend. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you got a lot out of today's episode. When we work on our own, we can sometimes be in a silo. So having new perspectives and different ways of looking at things is vitally important for the growth of our individual selves and our professional selves as well we love feedback so if you felt compelled to share what you thought of today's podcast we would love to read your thoughts you can leave us a review on apple podcast that helps our podcast to get out to the wider community and the more that hear what we have to share we think the better it is thanks so much friend we'll see you next time till then big love